If you want to get an introduction to who Jesus is and what he teaches, or if you just want to be reminded of those things, I often tell people, read the Gospel of Mark, again, because it's short and because it encapsulates his story. It doesn't have the birth narrative, and it ends right after the resurrection, so it's very a pretty quick read. And actually, there are a number of people who go around the country performing the Gospel of Mark, and it's a, it's, it's a single person performing it, and they've memorized the whole text. It's actually pretty fascinating to watch someone do that, because it's, it's that short. You could actually memorize it if you put some work into it. Then the second thing that you can do is to read the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5, and you just heard Allison read the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And again, it's called the Sermon on the Mount because it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up and the disciples joined him. In the Gospel of Luke, there's what we call the Sermon on the Plain because it says he went to a level place and he began to teach them. Matthew and Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain are a little different. Matthew's is the, it's the longest set of teachings in the scriptures, really, all in one continuous flow. We, we think that Matthew probably pulled together a lot of Jesus' teaching to put them in a Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus, we don't think that he taught all of these things right in a row at the same time, but they, they go together and it makes a lot of sense. And so you go from, you go from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 8. So it begins with the Beatitudes and it ends with talking about the one who built his house on a solid rock and the one who built his house on sand. And that the ones who listen to Jesus' commands and listen to his teachings and do them is like the person who built their house on a solid rock. That when the storms come and the, and the rains come, that the house stays solid because it's built on the rock, not on the shifting sand. So it's a, it's a really interesting group of teachings, not easy teachings at all, and so I've been sort of walking us through a lot of them. We're not going to get through the, all of the Sermon on the Mount in this sermon series, but we're going to get through most of it, or I'll be talking about some of it. So today, this one ought to be interesting for you, I hope. This is Matthew 5, 27 to 37. Jesus said this, you have heard it heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, Do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. No 
is a complete sentence. It's a famous quote by the writer Anne Lamont. Why is this a famous quote? Because some of us have a hard time using no as a complete sentence. And we find our lives get all jumbled up and messed up and we end up having lots of stress and anxiety because we can't form that word, those two letters together at the same time and just let the period be at the end of the sentence. It's fascinating how those of us who are generally responsible, who have come through with decent parenting, with decent schooling, that have jobs, that we have such a hard time sort of managing our life and letting our words mean what they actually say. We have a hard time saying what we mean and meaning what we say. Sometimes we do it because we're not trying to hurt somebody's feelings, right? We're trying to, we're trying to be gentle with them and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and, I, and I totally get that. But so oftentimes we don't say yes wholeheartedly to things. And more often, we don't say no wholeheartedly to things. We say no, and then we feel guilty because we said no. We say yes, and then we're really mad because we really didn't want to do the thing anyway. I mean, how many times has that happened to you? Why did I say yes to this? What am I doing here? And then we're in the middle of it. We're like, well, I, I've got to keep my commitment, you know, because I'm a good person. I've got to do that. So, so I'm just going to slug this out and hate it the whole time. And of course, the people around you realize that you're not loving it because you show up late, you leave early, you sort of do the job, you know, not completely or fully. What's interesting is it happens in the church all the time because the pastor comes to ask you to do something and you're like, I can't say no to the pastor. You can't say no to the pastor. Okay, no, just kidding. You can say no to the pastor. But you do it, you say yes, but then you're like, why did I say yes to this? I don't even like doing this. I don't even enjoy this. I don't even feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm actually doing good service to the people around me or to God. And, and so, you know, around here, one of the things that we work very hard on is we want people's yeses to be yes. Like really, yes, I want, I, let me try that. Let me do that. And we want to honor it, when, honor people's no's when they say no. To not hound them and come back to them. And, oh, won't you just please, please, please do this? We really try to honor that. And, so, and then, that, then that builds some accountability both ways so that, when, so that if someone does say yes, that they really mean it that they really mean it and they really want to be part of that. And when they say no, that they really have thought it through and they really don't want to do that thing. And so you've heard it said that you shall not swear falsely. It's so interesting. Oaths in the Old Testament were binding. I mean, there's lots, there's talk about oaths in, in, uh, in the Old Testament about how binding they are. God, God makes covenants and promises with the people that are binding. But what's interesting is if you look at some of the oaths and you look at oaths that, that, are, that are given, a lot of times what oaths create are loopholes. I'm watching a series sometimes um, that's called The Magicians. And one of the things that these magicians do to get people to do things with them or for them is they create a spell that locks them into this binding agreement. 
but the real magic of the agreement is making it so that you've got a loophole. So yes, I'm agreeing to that, but th- that means that I can get out of it by doing this, 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 or this. That the, the, the wording is, is very crafty. And I was thinking about that during, when I was reading about O's in, in the Old Testament and how they often create loopholes. And so Jesus here is like, forget all of that. Quit swearing to God, quit swearing to on Jerusalem, quit swearing on your own head, quit swearing on your mother's grave. Just say yes or say no. In the kingdom, our word is supposed to mean something. What we say matters. And not just what we say, but what we do. And not just what we do, but the intention of our hearts matters. The thoughts that we have matter in the kingdom. And so now we'll go back to that first part. You were wondering when I was going to get to the adultery part, weren't you? You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's a lot easier to avoid the act of adultery than it is to avoid lustful thoughts. Just ponder that for a minute, right? It's a lot easier to avoid adultery than it is to avoid our lustful thoughts. So Jesus takes what was one of the Ten Commandments and doesn't just say, hey, this is, this is just about actions. This is just about not finding yourself in the bed of someone else who isn't your spouse. This is about how you live your inner life. This is about how you think. This is not just about what you do. And he does this in the Sermon on the Mount a number of times where he takes things that are outward actions that, that you're supposed to not do mostly and he, and, he, and he says, ah, it's about more than that. Because people, the law is supposed to be written on your hearts. And that's the dream and the hope in the scripture is that one day the, the word of God will be written on our hearts. That we won't have to teach each other about it. We won't have to remind each other about it like we do here. That, that we will just be filled with how to live all the time. That we will just live out of the very will of our being, will just flow with God's law and God's truth, but that is not necessarily where we are now. Our thoughts, well, sometimes our thoughts are just hard to regulate. I don't, well, I'll speak for myself. Thoughts are hard to regulate. If you've ever tried to meditate, oh yeah, how was that two minutes this morning? Yeah, any thoughts come up? Or was your mind just a nice blank and you were just thinking about your breath and you were just carried away? Oh, I bet you were thinking about, did I leave the oven on? Did I write the check for the church? Boy, my wife smells good this morning. What's that perfume? You know, I mean, or whatever, you know. Man, that, that coffee is sure tasty. I mean, I'm sure there were lots of thoughts. It's hard to regulate our thoughts. They just, they just come, you know, they just, they just come, 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 come. Like men have about 2,000 thoughts every day. Women have like 50,000. I'm just joking. I don't know what the numbers are, but it is, but it is that way. Like men, men when, when you ask your husband or you ask a man when he's sitting there sort of looking out, what are you thinking? He's not. He's not. 
just know that. But our thoughts are hard to regulate. And I think Jesus recognizes this and, and he wants to take and teach the disciples and teach us something that the kingdom is not just about our outward actions, but it is about our very being. And that God doesn't just want our, our outward actions. God wants all of us because God has created us. God has made us who we are and God, and God wants us to live as fully as we can into this, into this kingdom. Or uh, One of the writers said that we're called to a standard that includes even our thinking. Wow. If that doesn't like punch you in the gut, I don't know what does. I don't know what does. Let's go on for a little bit. I'm going to come back to some of this. So then there's this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into Gehenna is actually the the, the word here, and I want to teach a little bit about Gehenna. Gehenna, we believe, is what is just outside of Jerusalem called, I believe it's the Valley of Ben-Hinnon, or Gehenna. And what it, was, what it was used for previously was it was actually a place where people who followed the god Molech sacrificed children. And then it was used as basically the, the, the garbage dump for Jerusalem. And so they would burn, they burnt their garbage. And so there were fires there were fires in the garbage all the time. Fires never went out. And so it, it was often used as, well, if you, if, you know, I, mean, I can just hear some parents saying, if you're not good, you, you, it's going to be like the everlasting fire of, of Gehenna for you, right? There's this, there's this threat of it. And so Jesus uses it often, and that's usually when, he, when you read hell in the scripture, they're talking about Gehenna. They're talking about this fire that never goes out because they, that's how they, what they imagined that torment would be. Eternal torment would be something like that, that the fire never goes out. And so that's where we get some of our images about, about what hell is like. So, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw away. It's better for you to lose one of your members and your, your whole body to go into hell. I don't know about you, but if we took this literally, most of us would be, would be blind and without hands. So I don't think that's what Jesus means. Jesus often speaks in hyperbole to get our attention. And I think what, what, he's, what he's really getting at here is that he wants the disciples to take this seriously. That, that, they, would, that they would listen to his teaching and they wouldn't just be like, oh yeah, well, we're, we're doing these right things. We're, we're washing our hands the right way. We're, we're saying the right prayers. We're, we're doing this. We're, we're showing up at synagogue. We're, you know, whatever we're doing, that, that it would get into their hearts in a different way. That they would take it just more seriously and understand the weight of sin in the lives around us. And then it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's actually Moses. Moses put that in place. Divorce in the Old Testament and in ancient times was all on the male. The male could you know, basically write off, almost literally, write off his spouse anytime they wanted to, just give her a certificate of divorce. And Jesus is saying, I say, to, I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, and we think that Matthew actually put this next phrase in there, probably because of, of the community that he lived in, uh, but I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, 
causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Woo! Wow. Well, who can be saved then? Because I'm looking out here, and I know there's a bunch of us that have been married and divorced and remarried, right? Who can be saved? Well, the point is, it's not that our actions don't save us. We can never be good enough to save ourselves. That's not how it works. Again, like I talk about, our God is not a quid pro quo kind of God. Do this for me and I'll do this for you. Jesus, his very being, the living word of God, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection is God's eternal and everlasting yes to us. And God's yes is yes forever. God's yes is yes to you right where you are. Lustful thoughts, adultery, divorce, anger, fear, anxiety, depression, doubts. Jesus is God's yes to us. And Jesus wants this to be written on our hearts. Jesus wants us to fully live into this new life that that we've been given. And God knows us and created us so well. God knows. God knows that we cannot live perfectly. But God says yes to us. And when we say yes back to God, we put ourselves on a path of throwing ourselves on God's grace so that God's grace might begin to live through us, that our thoughts might be changed, that our hearts might be renewed, that the word might begin to be written on our hearts in some small way that we can give up trying to be perfect. We can give up trying to put on the right public face. We can give up saying yes to everything because we're afraid if we say no, somebody's not going to like us or love us. We can say no because God said yes to us. We can say yes wholeheartedly because God says a wholehearted, eternal yes to us. And then we can begin to have our word count for something. That our yes can be yes and our no can be no. And so you've heard it said, you shall not swear falsely. May God's yes to you let you know that you are freed from your sin, that you are forgiven, that God has said yes to you. And so may your words and your thoughts become God's. Amen. Amen.